from Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations in between our regular podcast episodes in order to focus on a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. And today I'm speaking with Caitlin Braum. She's the founder of Yonder Cider here in the state of Washington. Caitlin, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, my pleasure. So let's let's start out with uh, maybe a little bit about you and about uh, about Yonder. So how long have you been in the cider industry and kind of how did you come to it? So I've been in beverage for about 10 years now in cider for probably a little over six years. Um, I got into craft beverages because I used to actually homebrew with my dad as a kid. And I'm from Minnesota. And so when I moved to Seattle, I was just blown away. And it was nano brewery season then. Mm-hmm. And just really got into the craft beer scene and start. Cool. And then kind of what what made you transition or, I mean, not that you don't have interest in beer, I'm sure you do in some sense, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, beer and, and brewing is obviously a big industry. Cider is even in a state like Washington with lots and lots of apples, still a relatively small industry. Kind of what drew you to cider? Yeah. So I was um, doing a ton of freelancing for different breweries around town. And then I actually started working with a brewery where the founder actually couldn't drink beer anymore. Cause he, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't agreeing with the system. So we started looking into starting a cidery and that was Seattle Cider Company. And so I didn't know much about cider at the time, but we just kind of threw ourselves into it and started learning more and more and seeing what was out there. And I was just enthralled by how much more knowledge there was and how much education there was to give because not a lot of people knew a lot about cider. And so it was harder for us to find the information. And we had to do a lot of, you know, the drinking research on our own. Um, You know, I know, I know rough part of the job, Um, but I just, I really fell in love with it. It was, there are so many breweries, like you mentioned, and there weren't a lot of cideries at the time. And I just loved cider. It was what I preferred to drink at that moment. And I just threw myself into it and asked every question I could ever think of. Gotcha. And so I'm curious, you know, I want to talk about what's going on in the here and now and in the future, but I I do want to kind of look back a tiny bit um, beyond just sort of your own trajectory and and talk a little bit about the the sort of positioning, because I think Seattle Cider Company, which in Seattle, in this part of uh, the the country is a pretty big deal, one of the the larger producers of cider uh, sort of locally, you know, the, the question I'm asking is kind of, you know, you came to cider and I think a lot of people came to cider from beer, right? It was an alternative to beer in the sense of it being, um, you know, for people who, who maybe wanted something that was gluten-free or, or something that agreed with their system more than, than uh, beer did. But, you know, cider, and, and we can talk more about this in a minute, is sort of this interesting beverage where depending on maybe how you make it and your approach to it and philosophy even is, is maybe more like wine than like cider. And so I'm wondering, you know, did... Did do you see that that you know that uh, your either your relationship or or sort of more broadly either the production or or just consumer side of it has has the relationship to cider changed in your time in the industry? It has, yeah. I've learned so much more and I've tasted so much more. And so when I first got into cider, I was very into modern cider, right? So I was drinking products that were mainly culinary apples and maybe had fruit in them or something along those lines, and that's what I knew. Um, but then I started traveling more and exploring more and, you know, starting in Washington, drinking things like Snowdrift and Dragon's Head and then traveling across the country and then traveling across the world to like England and Spain and trying cider from there. Mm-hmm. And so my knowledge base of cider and just my palate has changed so much over the years. Um, but also from a business standpoint, knowing 
what people can afford and what's going to get people into the category. It's been really interesting to watch and see how my perceptions have changed. And that's kind of why Yonder was born. Um, I love a beautiful cider that's made only with cider fruit and is tannic and dry and, you know, has a beautiful acid balance and a lot of aroma. But those cider apples are really expensive. And that makes the cider, when it gets the consumer, really expensive too. And so when we're trying to pull more people into the cider category, if the only thing they can find is, you know, a beautiful bottle of of a 750 of cider, but it's $20, that's not necessarily going to get them into the category. At the same time, you know, there's a lot of beautiful, you know, culinary only ciders out there. But what you sometimes miss is some of the aroma and the complexity that can come with those cider, you know, apple ciders. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done at Yonder and the reason I started Yonder was to find a balance between the two, have a product that was um, still aromatic and had beautiful complexity to it and um, had a lot of those characteristics I loved but was still in a format and at a price point that made it approachable and consumable on consumable on a pretty regular basis. So yeah, so so that makes total sense to me as being kind of the the genesis of the idea behind the brand. So I mean, okay, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, I have this idea, I want to make a cider that is somewhere between these, as you said, really beautiful mm-hmm. but but relatively expensive. Uh, sort of cider apple based ciders and something that's maybe more uh, everyday priced, but also culinary apple based and maybe a little less complex. But then <laughs> you have the idea, but then how do you go from that to a product in a in a can? I mean, you don't have to take me through every step, but kind of what what were the major hurdles or milestones along the way? One of the benefits of my career is that I started in PR and marketing, right? That's my that's my knowledge base, and I grew up in craft beer and cider by asking a million and one questions and talking with a million and one people. And so what Yonder has been is the combination of those two elements. You know, I judge cider now and I I, I taste cider and I, 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 I know cider apples and those are all things six years ago I knew nothing about. And so what Yonder is, is me taking that marketing and PR brain of mine and combining it with those years of, you know, talking with experts and drinking a lot of great cider and learning more about cider as a beverage. And so when we started Yonder, I wanted the outside to be as beautiful as the inside. We wanted people to see Yonder and grab it for the way it looked and it felt and the can and they just spoke to the brand, but then they opened it up and they drank it and it was just as beautiful and it made them purchase it again. And so I think a lot of times you can get one or the other and you have people that are maybe more skilled in one set or the other. Um, it's the benefit of my team. My other two, my co-founders are our creative director, Maddie Porter, and my head cider maker, Tim Larson. And they, I've known them both for about 10 years as well. And they're both experts and fantastic at what they do. And so by building Yonder on those two pillars, we were able to kind of breach both sides of the industry and both sides of that, that coin. And so let's talk a little bit about that design aesthetic, because I think actually that's a really interesting point and something that, I mean, you, you can, you can speak as freely or you can be as diplomatic as you want, but, but I think a thing that has been interesting with, with the cider industry in particular is, you know, craft beer has a wealth of really kind of creative, interesting, sometimes also very poorly executed can art, but, but can art is a big part of craft beer in a lot of ways. And cider to me has kind of, I mean, you see much more of it than I do, but I think there's, it's definitely not seized upon that 
you know, sort of uh, approach to, yeah, standing out on a shelf, giving someone something to, to grab onto besides just the product in the can. So, you know, kind of what, when you were setting up the, the aesthetic and the design for Yonder, kind of what, what was, what were you thinking about? And, and is my, you know, rough generalization about the cider industry kind of, you know, seem like it's true? It does. And I think what, happens is you can't be good at everything, right? And so you have orchardists who are growing fruit and making beautiful cider, but then it comes to the marketing and maybe that's an afterthought because they've already made this beautiful cider. Why would people not enjoy it, right? And so it can be a big challenge and there's a reason that Yonder, when you look at it, doesn't scream cider. Um, It's also because people have a preconceived notion a lot of times of what cider is or what it tastes like to them, right? A lot of people think it's going to be sweet. And if they see cider, they just don't even take the time to pick it up. And so when we designed Yonder, like you can look at it and you can tell it's cider if you look close. But we wanted craft beer drinkers, wine drinkers, hard kombucha, seltzer drinkers to stop and take a look at the brand in its own right and pick it up. And then be like, oh, this is cider and give it a try. And I think by doing that, we are able to overcome some of those those preconceived notions that people have about cider and at least have them give it a shot. If they don't like it after that, fine, that's great. They got lots of other beverages to choose from. But cider has this first hurdle a lot of times of what people already have in their mind from what they've maybe had before. And gotcha. so when we built Yonder, we wanted to, to build a brand that people could stand behind a, if, even if they hadn't tried the cider yet, like we, I'm a big merch person. So we were selling sweatshirts and hats and everything about our brand before we even had the cider out there. Um, but we wanted people to just get over those, those fears of cider. And I think a branding opportunity is, is big and it is what we kind of took a chance on. And I think what we've succeeded with and had a lot of fun with, honestly. Do you think then that like the 750 milliliter bottle is a, is sort of like a, I don't I mean this is kind of a, maybe a hard question to answer, but it seems to me like unless you are making a very specific, you know, kind of cider, it's maybe a mistake for for people to go because it feels, you know, I don't know. The the seven fifty is a I mean, not only is it a lot of liquid, and that's always a can be a problem for someone, especially if they're not sharing potentially given just their circumstances, but also it yeah, it has a certain you know, it has a, a certain set of baggage, I suppose, in our culture. Is, is that something, did you never for a moment think about larger format bottles or was it, were you always like, we're going in can? Uh, I'm I'm sure we will do a 750 at some point. Oh, okay. I, I definitely think we will. And I think one of the challenges with 750s is kind of what we've talked about already is that price point, right? Um, but think about it this way. Like you buy a bottle of wine and that's 750 milliliters and it's, it's sometimes it's 12, 14, 15%. Cider's actually less than that. You're usually getting a like seven to 9% in there. And so it's just a way people think about cider a lot of times, whether it falls in this, you know, cider doesn't fall in any category well. We're technically wine. A lot of people drink us in pine glasses like beer. And it's, you know, it just kind of gets muddled. And so it's all of these hurdles that cider has to get over. Um I also think, you know, when we're looking at it, there is a place for the 750s, there's a place for the cans, there's a place for everything kind of in between, because we need, the cans are what get people into the category, right? And a lot of times that's true, or draft. 
But when you start getting into cider and you loving the cider, you're gonna start seeking more stuff out. I mean, beer drinkers are the same way, right? Like once you've had the can of something from some local little local brewery and they come out with a release of something crazy and barrel aged in a big bottle, you're gonna buy it because you believe in that brand and you trust it. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity. Um, some laws have passed recently to allow cideries to put ciders over a certain, I think it's over 7% ABV in 12 ounce cans now, which is going to make some of those big, beautiful, like cider, apple only ciders available in smaller formats. And hopefully then people will start to branch out more. So I do think 750s have their place. I also think marketing goes a really long way. And it's why I, I, when I talk to folks in cideries, I tell them, don't hire your brother's friend to do your designs, please. Please make sure that you are, you know, investing in your company, both from a cider standpoint and a marketing branding standpoint. Sure. Um, we just released um, a, a special cider in cans um, called Stoked. And it's a, you know, a Stoked, Stoke Red apple with uh, 70% and then 30% red fleshed apples. And those are apples that most people don't know, but people were pumped about it. And it's more expensive, but nobody blinked an eye. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's looking, it had a great label. We actually um, designed the character on the label after our production manager, who has um, quite the skiing look to him. So we, we, we mimicked him on the can, um, but it just showed how far marketing can go, just moving product and moving cider, no matter gotcha. the format. So I want to talk a little bit more about sort of where the current state of the cider industry is. So I'm going to I'm going to say this and you can tell me I'm completely wrong. It's totally fine. <laughs> but my sense is is that, you know, say about the time you were getting into cider was really kind of when cider was picking up steam, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. My sense is that there was almost no domestic I mean there was a domestic cider industry but it was very small and and the idea of of cider being a you know a, a major or at least noteworthy category in beverage alcohol was you know yeah some people drank European ciders but that was about it and that has changed uh, has changed for a number of reasons but it's also my sense now and this is the part that I definitely would love your feedback on that the perception from the outside and again just my perception is that sort of things have, I don't know, plateaued maybe, or kind of like the growth isn't quite as explosive as it was. And I mean, that's the natural thing for almost any new product. I'm sure that eventually we will reach that point with hard seltzer too. Um, it won't grow forever, but, but it, what is it, where is your feeling? I mean, obviously you think there's growth for your brand cause you wouldn't have started one. But, but I guess what I wonder is, you know, kind of a, does that ring true? And or B, if it doesn't, where do you see kind of continued opportunities to grow uh, either for Yonder or for Cider more generally? I think it rings true for to a degree. And I think why it is, is because kind of what we talked about before of Cider having a little bit of an identity crisis on where it fits, right? So you look at it, you go to a grocery store and you look at the shelves and craft beers got its section. But then you've got this section and all of a sudden you had cider mixed in with hard kombucha mixed in with sparkling hard seltzers and they all kind of mishmashed together yeah. and so as sparkling seltzers became more popular the space on the shelf for cider became smaller and you started to see less and less and you know they don't really shrink the craft beer section because there are so many suppliers and so many brewers um I think that has proven to be a little bit of a challenge for cider because you, it's not as overly accessible and you, you can't find it as easily, to be honest. 
Um, I do believe cider still has a chance. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't have started yonder if I didn't think so. Um, but I think where it has the biggest impact right now is kind of what we're seeing on a local neighborhood tasting room level. Um, I think that obviously has gotten um, hit hard because of COVID and everyone having to shut down and find new ways um, to sell and to keep alive and open. Um, but I think my hope is that once everything opens back up, it's that opportunity of just getting people to taste cider for the first time and prove to them that it isn't sweet. You like there are so many different varieties of it, just like there is beer. And I think, you know, we have um, a to-go only tasting room here in Seattle that we call Yonder Bar. And it serves mostly our neighborhood. And we do four packs and growlers to go. And I can't tell you, I, I, this isn't an exaggeration. More than 50% of the people that come up to buy cider from Yonder Bar have either told us they don't like cider, they <laughs> haven't had cider before, but they're excited to see something new and different. And so I think that's where the opportunity lies, is continuing to push the bounds, continuing to increase the quality and show people what that, and provide the opportunities to try cider. Because mm -hmm. once we get them over that hump, they're there. And we can show them what, what cider can do. Gotcha. Very cool. Just, I have one last question that you, you a little bit hinted, hit on it, but I'm, I want to kind of maybe get a little bit more sense of it, which is like, you know, starting a new brand, starting a new venture is always challenging, always risky, always has lots of, you know, kind of peril to it. But, you know, Yonder launched essentially during a pandemic. Um, you know, how did that scramble your plans and and kind of what did you, what have you had to adapt and what has, what have you been able to kind of keep the same from your initial concept? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, except for the cans. Cans are beautiful. They were always going to be beautiful. Like it, that's, that's the same, but, um, if anybody that knows me knows I'm a, a huge planner and I've been thinking about yonder for two years. And so there was going to be the big 500 person party and the media dinner in the orchard and like all we were launching on my birthday. Like it was a whole thing. None of that happened. None of it. The tasting room, nothing. And so it has it taught me a very serious lesson of like letting go <laughs> and that not that it will work itself out, but that you will always find a different way. And that's what we've done. And that's, um, yonder's growing and I feel very, very fortunate for it. And I know that's not the case for everyone. And we feel very lucky and we've worked hard for it and we've changed everything we had planned on. But at the same time, I, I well, I hope that it only gets easier from here because it can't get harder. Take every, <laughs> take every timeline that I had planned, whether it's cans or production or moving the facility or getting in with the distributor. Everything took twice to three times as long. It was twice as expensive. Yeah. And so like that hasn't been easy. But, you know, Yonder Bar, that took it's in my garage. Like <laughs> I have a tasting room in my garage. That was not the plan. And I can tell you, my husband is not happy about it, but it, it just, it has become like a neighborhood thing and a neighborhood. I cut like a, people come to it every day of the week and yeah. I worked Christmas Eve and got to like talk to all my neighbors and see how excited they were. And they were bringing their family by to try yonder. And we wouldn't have that. You know, I, I, I don't wish COVID and the pandemic to ever happen. I wish it hadn't. But we have shifted and changed during it. Um, and some really good things have come. Uh, our brand will be stronger for it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. 
Gotcha. I wouldn't uh, recommend it. I actually opened two businesses during it. I've got another one called The Source. Um, But uh, again, it can only get easier from here. So uh, we feel fortunate and we're just lucky that people have taken to our brand and do really love our cider and um, are excited to continue sharing it. Absolutely. Well, Caitlin, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for uh, talking about uh, a, you know, exciting and scary year, frankly, <laughs> uh, and look forward to seeing what you and your team at uh, Yonder have in the works down the road. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.